it is incredibly powerful and it's very very important when we get through that we understand that we are still alive and life goes on and the experiences we've had will make us stronger and wiser so much wiser Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. And if you like this podcast, you'll love my companion courses, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity, and The Wisdom of Mindful Eating. Now, for one month only, I'm putting both of my online courses on a radical sale. Both The Wisdom of Mindful Eating and Zestful Aging will be $19.99 each. Both of these courses have received rave reviews. They're fun, straightforward, and have the ability to change your life in the direction of more peace and less stress about eating and around aging. No extreme diets or punishing exercise. More about creating habits that feel good and are sustainable, which is health promoting and leads to a longer, happier life. This offer will expire January 31st. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today we will be speaking to Antonia Rolls, who lives in the UK in a little town called Bogner. Regis. She's a professional artist and a soul midwife, a healer, and a writer. And she's created the Graceful Death Exhibition, Portraits and Words from the End of Life. And I'm going to ask her to speak more about this really unusual and beautiful exhibition. She has two sons, a daughter, and two delicious little grandsons, and she loves to drink tea and eat cake. Oh, my goodness, a woman after my own heart. Welcome to the show, Antonia. Thank you very much, Nicole. It's lovely to be speaking with you. Oh, yes, I'm excited because we've had a really nice conversation before, and there's so many things that I want to ask you about, but... Just to to begin, could you please define soul midwife for our listeners? They may not be familiar with what that is. Yes, um, a soul midwife is a holistic end-of-life companion from any point from diagnosis right up to death. Um, A soul midwife is very much like a death doula. Mm. And I think there is a huge wave of people uh, wanting to work um, with people at the end of life in a very holistic and um, community-based way. So I am actually, I am a support and I am a friend. So when people need encouragement, they need support, they need to talk things over or they need someone to actually vigil with someone who's dying 
um, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And how did you find yourself um, in, in this line of work? Well, I will preface that by saying that life is fab. Life is brilliant. Life is for living. And the work I do with the end of life is is about the joy of living because everybody is absolutely alive until they die. So until you're dead, you're very much alive. Mm-hmm. So it's the celebration of life. My whole work, my whole life is about celebrating life. Um, I got into end-of-life work because... Uh, I met somebody absolutely fabulous in 2007, having spent 10 years on my own raising three children and feeling that uh, I would never find anyone because I was such a a, a, a busy, um, kind of wrung out mother um, trying to, to make ends meet. And I did meet somebody who was completely beautiful when we met. It was as if we hadn't been breathing till we laid eyes on each other. Um, and 18 months after we met, he was dead. Oh. Which was um, a life-changing. And I feel that he was the absolute love of my life. And he died and left me a job to do. So that's how I got into it. Life-changing in so many ways, meeting this man. Well, it was because in in many ways it affirmed that I was just as lovable as anybody else and that all my um, views of myself as unworthy and too bedraggled uh, as a single mother, um, having got out of quite a difficult marriage to a very difficult person, Um, though I I do bless him because he gave me three beautiful children. Um, uh, It changed, it changed that, that kind of thinking that I was unworthy. Mm -hmm. It also showed me the power of the dying process and it also showed me how much love that there is and there can be when we are facing the end of life and the chips are down and the truth has to be told Um, I mean it it just sounds profoundly transformational it it was Um, I must say that this was my first real experience of somebody dying, especially somebody I loved. And it did throw me uh, back into a huge cycle of despair and distress. However, um, something had changed in my, um, in, in my outlook, in, in my spirit somehow. And I had seen, I had seen somebody die well. Um, I missed them and I didn't know how to handle it and I became extremely angry with everybody and um, I I, I did the grief reaction and when you haven't experienced grief or seen it before you you may think that you're going mad and Mm -hmm. I did think I was going mad but I wasn't Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And am I right that you had the idea you wanted to paint him 
to do his portrait through this dying process? Yes. Now, I was and have been and am um, a, a professional artist. And a lot of what I do is always figurative. Um, and I've done portraits for many years. I've done a lot of other things too. I do whatever my clients want me to do. Um, so I couldn't get over the physical changes to this wonderful man whose name was Steve. So Steve's body was changing. He was losing weight. His eye color, you know, he, he was becoming jaundiced. There were all sorts of changes, you know, tiredness makes your skin a bit sallow. Um, and I started to paint him because I couldn't understand what was happening. And I kind of, first of all, I wanted to hold on to this, this, this person that was disappearing in front of my eyes. And second of all, I was overwhelmed with respect and awe that he was having to take this journey and was doing it with so much courage. Um, so I started to paint him as he was dying and then on the day he died, I painted him when he was dead mm. without ever knowing what I was going to do with it. It wasn't, none of this was about public, um, a, a public viewing. Mm. It was or, your way to be with him intimately in, in some way, in, in, in the language that you understand and that you've lived in, which is the language of art. Yes, exactly right, Nicole, exactly right. I, that was my, that was my go-to place, creativity, expression, art, painting. Um, and, um, I, I, when I look at the paintings, most of them I think are very beautiful because I think he was beautiful. They're quite raw to look at. Some of them, my emotions got in the way and the painting is jagged. The lines are all jagged. I paint very realistically. I, 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 um, I don't uh, make think uh, when I paint a portrait, it, it is exactly like the person. It's not mm -hmm. um, invented. But some of the ones that I, I just couldn't cope, you can see in the lines, you can see in the colours, it's the energy of the painting is all disrupted and distracted and un, un, uh, unfinished and kind of broken. And documenting how you were at that moment. Well, absolutely. And I did other paintings of my own state of mind. I, I did one little painting um, with a, a tiny faceless figure standing on their own in, in the centre of a, a, a big white space and that was called Alone and that's how I felt, just very, very alone. Yes, it was difficult but it was worth it. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, how people struggle in grief and how, you know, you said you might think you're going mad and it's not a graceful process. It can be ugly and, and jarring and you can be in the fetal position, just, you know, mm. feeling like you can't, you can't stand one more minute of the pain and there's something about how you processed it that just sounds so, um, it just allowed the grief process to do what it needed to do, like metabolize, you know, as you were painting, I imagine. 
I think that's true. Um, I think this feeling of going mad is because the whole of one's life has been turned upside down. Mm -hmm. And when you're in it, everything that formed your reference for the world you live in has been absolutely shattered and torn away. Mm-hmm. I used to say that before Steve died, I had a wonderful relationship with God and, you know, he made flowers come out for me and and the birds sing in the trees for me. And the day Steve died, I just lost it. I thought, there is no God. Mm-hmm. This is, I have been fooled not only by life but by God himself and the whole of life is a con mm. and I let you know I was so angry and I did all sorts of irrational things and I really thought that I was going mad I really did luckily um, I had friends and family who could hold me and they just they were so good to me but there was nobody could get through to me I was in a terrible terrible place and the art helped me because I could just go in there mm-hmm. so if steed died in 2007 i spent until 2009 in the studio going over and over these paintings over and over you know trying to work out what had happened mm-hmm. um so I, I i mean i have had other very big losses since then and the first that first grief that I, I went through. I don't say I suffered it because I don't think we suffer grief. I think we go through grief. Uh, you know, we come out the other side unless, of course, we are psychotic and that I know can happen and that's different. But grief is, is, grief is a terrible thing. It is really painful and it affirms us. It gives us some understanding of the depth of human experience. Mm-hmm. So when... Um, <clears throat> I I actually married again many, many years later and I lost that husband too, Mm. which is, um, you know, yes, what can we say about that? But by the time I was able to be with my second husband when he died, um, I I had been through enough to understand the process, Mm -hmm. though that didn't diminish the feelings of pain and hurt and grief. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, 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 how can we say it? It is incredibly, um, it is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's very, very important when we get through that we understand that we are still alive and life goes on and the experiences we've had will make us stronger and wiser, so much wiser. Mm-hmm. It's a, some kind of an enrichment. Mm. I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. This whole journey of working with people at the end of life, um, I don't do it all the time because, uh, it, you know, um, I... I People, people come and go, you know, requests come and go. I do a lot of speaking to people one-to-one. I do a lot of um, answering questions and people phone quite a lot or come round. Going to actually sit with people who are dying, I don't do that very often, though I can. It, it, it's because they've already got a, a network around them and that network just needs the support. The person who's dying has already got medical um, uh, help and community help. I I guess I'm just going to mention here that my great passion 
in all the end of life work is that we remind we are reminded that we already know what to do mm-hmm. and that when some when we are facing either our own or other people's endings that we can be frightened and allow the professionals who are doing a wonderful job to take over and that is not necessary we already know how to love we already know how to be with people we can't do anything wrong we fear that we'll say the wrong thing do the wrong thing we 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 won't we won't and i really my work aims to educate people and to raise awareness to tell them actually dying is a process it's like life it's the ending of life and you don't have to run away from it and you already have the skills to 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 stay and love mm-hmm. oh that must be really uh great to hear for people who feel lost and afraid to know that all they have to do is just have that relationship with a person and love them that's it mostly you you know some when somebody's dying an aunt a family member somebody that you know you already know them i had somebody um contact me and say um what did she say she said i have received a letter or or an email from somebody whose best friend is dying and she doesn't know how to approach this this best friend who's in the hospice and she wants some advice um and she said would you tell me what i have to tell this person mm-hmm. and the answer to that is this is your best friend what do you need anybody who doesn't know you to tell you mm-hmm. go to your best friend and be her best friend that's the mm-hmm. end of it just love her so that's a very good i think example of how we just need to be encouraged and reminded that we already know what to do mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about the graceful death exhibition it's so unique and so interesting um i know our listeners would would like to hear more about that well definitely okay so i painted steve for two years and then i decided to put on an exhibition in my house and i wasn't sure whether anybody would come to it because it was lots and lots of paintings of somebody else's dying partner and dead partner but people came they all came and they all came and started to talk and i realized two things first i'm not the only person to be bereaved and the second is that everybody has a story to tell about the end of life and nowhere to tell it i started to get people to to uh, asking me would i go and see their friend their their family member this person that person with a view to um painting them and talking with them so that's how the graceful death exhibition actually started um and for about 6 years i was asked to visit various people i had some referrals from um cancer units um and from uh, palliative care units in hospices and hospitals around the country and i would go and meet the person 
and we would see whether we could work together. I, I knew that I was fine to work with them, but they didn't know who I was and what my motivation was, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who who is this person who wants to paint me and talk to me? So we would meet and I would I would reassure them that they were in control, that any image, words, anything that we used for the Graceful Death exhibition was to be passed by them first. Nothing would happen without their say-so. And we would start and we would form a relationship in which we had to form quite quickly because they were dying. And I would ask them, who are you and what do you want to say? We would work out how they wanted to be painted. So I would paint them exactly as they are in wheelchairs, looking jaundiced, very thin, um, with tubes or just sitting on the sofa with a terminal illness, but looking absolutely fine. Um, And then we would do the words and we would we would talk about what they wanted to say. So we have ended up, I have ended up with over 50 paintings and portraits of people who are talking about who they are and what this process means of end of life. None of it is gloomy. The people who I've interviewed say do say, yes, you know, I have moments of real uh, darkness and sadness, but generally they're just living their lives. You know, they may be in hospital, but they still like to watch television. They have, you know, they still like to go on Facebook and, and you know, all the normal things. <laughs> And they want ice cream and they, they, they like, you know, they get annoyed and they have arguments. So they're just such normal people. So the exhibition um, includes all those portraits. Um, I don't know if it's worth mentioning. I have a website, which... Um, oh, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. But also there are stories. There are... There is a lot of poetry and prose being sent in by members of the public, so that's all displayed. I have a lot of words. Sometimes I call it a wall of words, and I put all the words up on one um, one wall, and people can read. I have a, a wonderful prayer bowl which has been donated, which holds blessed water, and we put into that um, beautiful stones in memory of loved ones. I have... Um, workshops, talks, discussions, question and answer sessions run by myself and other um, colleagues who work in end of life. Um, and my uh, m- the, the, the way they can come and work with me is if they are authentic and speak to people. I don't want any jargon. I don't want any medical jargon. I don't want any us and them. It's all about us together. Mm-hmm. So I... Um, so what else do we have? We have films. I've got videoed recordings. I've got um, music, which has been specially composed for the exhibition. It sounds um, like an elaborate installation. It's a whole experience. It takes a couple of days to set up. And I take it around the country, where, wherever it needs to go. Um, and sometimes it goes to, well, often it goes to conferences and end-of-life conferences to teaching hospitals to uh, um, what do you call those places where you learn to be a priest seminaries seminary yes, yes. and so religious what are you colleges. hoping what are you hoping people take from this uh, exhibit 
Um, well, let's think. I might, I might have to give you a long answer there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when, when people come into the exhibition, they are always moved because the stories are very beautiful and very profound and sometimes they're very sad and the images are very striking. They're very, very realistic um, and they're very normal. So what I want people to take from it is that dying is a part of life and living, living is the thing that we concentrate on. We, we absolutely focus on living, you know, and if you if you want to live well it is wise to understand that you are mortal you don't have to be afraid of your mortality and you don't have to be constantly avoiding the fact that one day you'll die it's a very good idea to hold that knowledge to acquaint yourself with the process acquaint yourself with the reality of it in order that you can treasure the life that you have and do the best you can with it so i want people to treasure their lives mm. while understanding that the end will come and also when the end has does come either for themselves or other people that they feel equipped to take the journey mm. with less fear than they think they might do I and see. also and to have resources you know because in the exhibition there are resources there people to contact you know people to talk to wow i mean this is i'm guessing uh life-changing for many people who see your exhibit it can be it can be some people can come with um a a, a huge amount of grief about something and in the exhibition there is always somebody there are about well maybe up to five uh, dedicated listeners people who can just listen we don't cure and we don't heal and we don't solve and we don't sort out we just listen we're just there the exhibition is very loving um sometimes people can come because they have um, a diagnosis and they're afraid to talk about it and they find that there they can talk about mm -hmm. it and we don't indulge there's no indulgence in this you know it's about it's about absolute reality and love and kindness and and more reality and then you go away I hope people go away feeling inspired not feeling gloomy or oppressed because then I would have utterly failed mm -hmm. so this is like uh, some kind of preparation or learning process this is really what it looks like and no and now go go forward go on and live your life yes and don't try not you can't tell people not mm. to be afraid but try not mm. to to let fear get in the way you know, and I think when you have a when you have a kind of a recognition that that one is is finite, that mortality is our our common gift, um, that really then how are we living today? What are we doing? Who are we? What you know? What are we doing about our own lives? What do we want? Have we got it? You know, how are we using the time? Yes, are we asleep? If we're asleep should we wake up and take stock 
what you know what are our dreams how do we get our, are we allowed our dreams well yes we're allowed our dreams we've got one life you know uh, yeah get to know yourself you know mm -hmm. this is your time your life do you feel as though um, people are becoming more open to this message uh, just culturally and I know you know you're in the UK and I mm. I don't know if you want to speak to internationally but what's your sense of people's openness and willingness to start thinking and talking about end-of-life well <clears throat> I think that people really do want to talk about it I think they really do and um, I don't know about um, other countries. I know that there are many different cultures that have different approaches and some sound absolutely amazing, um, like the Mexican Day of Dead, the Dead, um, which I'm not too sure uh, of the details. I don't want to, to, to kind of tie myself in knots about that, but <laughs> I do think that the, the Mexican Day of the Dead sounds wonderful. Um, there are... Um, uh, uh, Buddhist traditions where you know death is something that's anticipated and and um, people meditate on it um, but I think all of us people whatever our culture whatever our beliefs whatever our, our, our nationality we all have to do it um, and I, th I, I I only speak to the people that I speak to if you see what I mean Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that, oh, so many of us would love to sit down and actually ask all the questions that we don't feel we can, like, mm -hmm. what colour do you go when you die? You know, that kind of thing that we, we just, we can't possibly ask that. Well, I say, if if you're talking to me, ask it, ask mm -hmm. it, you know, um, because this is all information this is all this is all reality so i think people do want to know um and they 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 want to know different kinds of things some people want to know the nitty-gritty like you know um how does a cremation work how does the body burn some people want to know things like um can you can you sing to people who are dying some people might want to know well um uh, what does it what does it look like some people might want to know well does do I have to be there do I have to be do, can I run away can I can I run away from anyone who's ill and dying can can I do that mm -hmm. you know so there's lots of questions I'm thinking about how your life has changed over the years and how I, I imagine it would have been impossible for you to predict what you're doing now and also the impact you must be having. Do you know, I am very grateful to Steve, my darling Steve, for dying, though I miss him very much. I'm also grateful to all the other people who have died and shared their story. I'm grateful to my mother who died recently, my brother who died recently, and my husband who died recently. My my feeling, and I don't know if anyone else will agree with this, is that everybody who dies leaves you a gift. And the question is, what is that gift? Um, my mother's gift is love. My 
Steve's gift was to work in this way. My husband, Alan, who died recently, oh, his gift was magnificent. He was absolutely magnificent. So I've, I have been in the presence of a magnificent man and wisdom. He was a wise man. Um, my brother's gift, he was a Catholic priest, was ministry. I saw him uh, act, I saw him uh, in his ministry and I saw how wonderful he, he behaved, how wonderfully he behaved to people. You know, and when the grief subsides, that is the time to, to, to try and look for the gift and to, to own it. Mm. My life has changed incredibly. I'm happier now than I have ever been and I'm also aware that happiness is is not constant you know that that life will throw at us terrible things and that's okay that's okay um we can deal with it you know we can deal with it and everything what do they say everything that doesn't kill us makes us stronger mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and shows us who we are gives us gives us wisdom insight shows us who our friends are shows mm -hmm. us what our path is you know shows us how resilient we can be right right mm -hmm. and this idea of that it's normal for sometimes life to feel brutal or or to be brutal that that's part of life that it brings you to your knees without a doubt and for some people, 95% of their life is like that. We know we, 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 we can't. Oh, what can I say? Life happens to all of us. And our life is, uh, you know, it, it's our responsibility. We, we do the best we can in our lives. And it is a total myth to chase happiness and to mm -hmm. chase, to, to chase uh, the good things, the good things and happiness come alongside everything else. Mm -hmm. a and, you know, we need each other. This is another thing which I, I think more and more, all of us in our own lives, with our own things that we're dealing with, we need each other. Mm -hmm. we, we, we do need each other for support, for, for friendship, for companionship, for, for love, for just just that human contact and mm -hmm. I also think that life ebbs and flows when you have become disconnected when you are lost when you are down it, it's unlikely that that is the constant state for the rest of your life you know yeah. it, it things go up and down and sometimes I think when we are really really down we aren't just simply down uh, uh, the, the other things can come into our distress and cheer us up without removing the downness. Do you mm. see what I mean? Mm. Oh, yes. So it's never mm. so simple that either life is good or bad. We, mm -hmm. we, we, we have many layers of complexity. Mm -hmm. The gray, living in that gray. Living in that gray. And I, uh, uh, gosh, living in that gray. Absolutely. But I think our main one of our main questions in, in our lives is, who am I? Mm -hmm. Self-knowledge, who am I? Do I love myself? And I know that's such a trite thing. I mean, when people used to say to me, you know, Antonia, love yourself, I always think, well, what, you know, what the dickens does that look like, you know? Does that mean I must have more chocolate? Do I... <laughs> 
goodness. <laughs> so is your writing um, mostly centered on these kind of themes that you're ce celebrating life and, and these themes, or do you write about other topics as well? Well, I do write about these themes, um, and I do write about um, all the thoughts I have, which is very much what I've been speaking about. Um, I also um, have um, a book which I am working on at the moment about, um, it's about my mother's dying and all the, the things that go t towards uh, being with somebody who's dying and all the stories of, of the people in her past and who she is and who I am and the people around us. I'm working on that with the publisher at the moment. Um, I have a blog which I write and that's um, I, what, um, when Alan died my blog was very much about the, the, the grief that I was feeling at the time um, and I also have um, a one-woman show which was produced in 2016 um, just before my husband died um, and I'm just going to mention he it, it was called a graceful dying and it was it was it was very amusing it was serious but it, it was also very amusing but my dear husband Alan came to that to support me and sat with his eyes closed in the performances because he knew that this was what he was going to be facing mm. what kind of amazing man is that mm -hmm. my goodness what a wonderful man um so um yes so there's there's blogs there's articles there's a book in in progress there's a one woman show which i'm now going to rewrite and take um take out on the road again next year 2019 Mm -hmm. um, because the stories have changed so yeah that's that's good isn't it that's a lot that's a lot of activity and creation going on do you ever purposely put some of these um more profound and rich and deep uh themes aside and just you know walk on the beach uh on the coast near where you live and pick up seashells or something <laughs> do i have an off button yes thank you yes much less much less trite yes um i have such an off button yes um my lovely family uh is my off button um and my grandsons who are so tiny one is nearly three one is one and i have another grandchild on the way they are so small and fat and beautiful and delicious <laughs> that they they just keep you in the moment um i also um i love eating so mm. i will oh and i've got loads of friends so we spend a lot of time um cooking Foodies. Eating. Foodies. Yes, your foodies. And, uh, foodies. And yeah. What do you so. love to cook? Well, I'm a savory person, so and I'm a vegetarian. So I love oh, what do I love best? Cake. Mm. <laughs> Having said I'm a savory person, I also love cake. Mm -hmm. Um I love rice dishes. I love 
Greek food, Mexican food. Mm. I love Indian food. Um, I think I just love food, Nicole. I just mm. love meal times is good. <laughs> 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 this, you know, I think about uh, kind of balancing out the end of life with this nourishing, you know, yeah. focus on food and then squeezing your little grandchildren. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it is absolutely. I, I love candles that smell. I love lights. I love fairy lights. I love, I, I practice Qigong, which is uh, uh, like meditation and movement. I love laughing. I love wit and humor. I love people who are clever with their words and make me laugh. I, I just want to keep them forever, you know. Um, so I have a lot of off off times and all this stuff that I'm talking about I don't kind of inhabit that all the time because otherwise I would be not only very boring but I would probably be kind of burnt out um, when I put the exhibition on that's very very intense for when the exhibition is on and then I bring it home put it back in my studio and I cook up a big meal and put on bright colors and have bubble baths oh. and lie around watching you know watching YouTube videos and you know, balance being. is so important and to know <laughs> when it's time to put it in the box and put it in the closet. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, I have built into my day every single day, nothing time, which mm -hmm. is just about me sometimes just lying down and looking at the ceiling, because mm -hmm. I fancy it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I do have um, off off button moments lots of them. Wonderful. Um, I do want to uh, ask you to give us your contact information because I know many of my listeners will want to learn more about you and, and all of your projects. So where's the best place to find you? It's my website, okay. which is www.antoniarolls.co.uk. Mm -hmm. Okay. And on there, I have uh, information on soul midwifery, on a graceful death, and all the other painting work that I do, um, because I still take on portrait commissions. Um, and my blog will be on there too. And when the book comes out, that will be on there. Um, there will be, uh, there's also email address for me on there. So should anybody want to get hold of me, mm -hmm. then do. And I give a lot of talks and I give a lot of sessions and I'm very happy to become involved with uh, and listen to anybody who just feels they'd like to talk. You know, that's what I do. So mm -hmm. I, I am, I am here by email, by phone or whatever, um, so, uh, yeah, have a look at the, the website and, and see if, if, if anything resonates with you. And if you need to contact me, here mm -hmm. I am. That's the way. You know, it's interesting because I've been looking at different end of life kind of uh, people who do it. And I don't know if this is true, but I'm finding that the UK seems to be ahead of the curve on this. And I'm wondering, have you done any work with deaf the Death Cafe or any any of those kind of organizations? 
Well, um, I haven't done any work with the Death Cafe. I think they uh, they have a very important um, part in the community. And you're right, the UK is really interested in in this uh, this end of life business. Um, even the the funeral parlours and the undertakers are beginning to change their business models, and we're we're taking on an awful lot of interest in in green funerals and and. Um, uh, that that kind of recycling-minded uh, um, uh, funeral work. Oh, gosh, that sounds awful. You can't recycle a funeral, but you know what I mean. Green. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> More ecological. That's than, the word. Yes, and you know all of the. Um, it it yes. really hurts the landscape. To it, uh, do with the embalming fluid and the. You yeah. Know, it's, yeah. Oh my goodness! And the laws here in the UK that there aren't actually that many laws for for funerals. If I wanted, I could have taken Alan back from the hospice here in the back of my car, wrapped in a in in a sheet, and kept him at home. And then I could actually legally have buried him in my garden, providing wow. yeah, yeah, providing it's not near a water table and that the relevant authorities are alerted and it goes on the deeds of the house. Oh yeah. my. Goodness, that's a very different uh, view. That's <laughs> well, so interesting. It's great, but not many people know that kind of thing. I don't. I don't think it's encouraged. So I don't <laughs> think it's kind of well. <laughs> But but yes, we we there are an awful lot of organisations. I've I've worked with the Living Well Dying Well Foundation. I've worked with, um, with uh, Good Life, Good Death, Good Grief in Scotland, and with the um, National Council of Palliative Care. And I've worked with Dying Matters, which is a wonderful organisation. Oh, lots and lots of different organisations. Mm-hmm. But I'm very much an individual. I'm 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 a lone star. I'm a maverick. Mm-hmm. I like to work I like to work on my own with other people. I don't want to join anything. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm best left to, to 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 do this on my own and bring people in for projects and then come back to being on my own again. That's good to know, I think. And at this age, you start learning how you work best. Oh, you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Antonia, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I think that your work just sounds magnificent. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. And I am going to put up your contact information on my program notes, Antonia Rolls, R-O-L-L-S dot co dot U-K. And I, I just wanted to say thank you for covering something that and talking about something that is still difficult, um, but so important. Nicole, thank you so much. It was wonderful to speak with you. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestful aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.